Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. God is more interested and concerned with developing you internally than he is in expanding you externally. God is interested on the inside much more than he's interested on the outside, which poses a big problem for us because all we tend to pay attention to is the outside. And we pay attention to behavior modification and changing this and changing that. And hey, some of the things that we're doing, we certainly need to change. But God is working on the inside. And he's wanting to develop in us a depth of maturity. He's wanting to give us a sterling character. Much more than he's interested in giving us more of what we want in life. This is amazing grace. I want it more, and I want it now. The case could be made that's the cry of the hearts of a good majority in the world today. Our flesh so often cries out for more, but God is saying to be satisfied where you are. If you struggle in this area, keep listening. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will give us three very practical steps to take when we're discontent. We'll be finishing John chapter 18 with special emphasis on Joshua chapter 17. Contentment like many other things in our lives, have everything to do with faith. And let me put it away where you can understand. If we trust God where we are today, like if you could say, as I'm asking these questions, you could say, yes, I trust God where I am today. This is where God wants me. It may not be all that I had imagined, but I'm happy where I'm at. God is using me where I'm at, and I'm hopeful and looking forward to all that God may have for me. But even if he has nothing more, I'm happy with him. Now, if you're in a place where you're content where you're at, then believing God is very easy for you. <laughs> I mean, if you're happy where you're at, then trusting God and having much faith is an easy thing where you're taking steps of faith and you're happy and you're joyful and yes, Lord, I'm so satisfied. You're so good to me. If we like where we're at, we're much quicker to trust God. If we don't like where we're at, it may even get to the point where you blame God and you're mad at him and you're upset and asking God to change the circumstances of your life. Attached to blaming God also comes this sense of wanting to live someone else's life. The psalmist went through that in Psalm 73. You can jot it down for homework. He's looking at all those that were successful and happy and they don't even love God, but everything that they had, everything that they wanted, oh God, it's just not fair and it's just not right. And then toward the end, the Psalm of Asaph, toward the middle or towards the, you know, three quarters way through, he says, I didn't understand. It's too much to understand until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. Then I understood. And God gave him a dose of contentment and perspective. Why would God put us in a restrictive place? It's a great question to ask. Why would God put us in a restrictive place? Well, listen, this is a key I want you to hold on to. Something I wish I would have learned much earlier in my Christian walk. Something that will release you in so many ways to trust God more and more. And it's simply this. 
God is more interested and concerned with developing you internally than he is in expanding you externally. God is interested on the inside much more than he's interested on the outside, which poses a big problem for us because all we tend to pay attention to is the outside. And we pay attention to behavior modification and changing this and changing that. And hey, some of the things that we're doing, we certainly need to change, but God is working on the inside. And he's wanting to develop in us a depth of maturity. He's wanting to give us a sterling character much more than he's interested in giving us more of what we want in life. It's so important to hold on to in times where the enemy is picking at you in an area of discontentment, where your flesh is crying out for more when God says, be satisfied where you are. God is more concerned with maturity than ministry. Or it's often been said, God is more interested in the minister than he is in the ministry. He's more interested in who you are than what you do. And when who you are matches the work of God in your life, then what you do has so much more spiritual significance. Whatever restrictions and confinements you are experiencing in the present is for the purpose of your maturity and your spiritual growth. And that's how God will use them in your life. So then, here you are in that place perhaps, or will be just up ahead. There's one last question to ask, and that is, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do in this confining, restrictive place in my life? Well, let's read the rest of the text, and I want to give you three things today to consider and pray over. Verse 14 of Joshua 17, The children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us but one lot and one portion to inherit? Since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mounds of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, verse 16, The mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Beth Shean and its towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. Three things I want to give you. Number one, what do I do when I'm in a constricting, confining place? Number one, develop what God has already given you. Develop what God has already given you. That's what Joshua tells them in general. Take what you have and develop it. You have what you have, so go up and develop it. If you're a great people, don't ask for more. Clear out what you already have. I love that. He says in verse 15, clear out a place for you. Clear out a place for you. There's a popular phrase that's used today to describe that. One that I'm sure you've heard, perhaps you've even used. And it's the phrase, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Clear out what you have. I'm reminded of what Paul the Apostle wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wrote it to the church in the city of Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, 
but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and murmuring, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Develop what you have. Go up and clear it out. Make a place and make a home where you are. Be satisfied and take what you have and develop it. Now the world's always emphasizing and always placing an emphasis upon what you do, what you do. And that seems to be the greatest level of value uh, for people in society, what you do. And, and what level of society you are in because of what you do. But the Lord is always concerned with who you are. He's always concerned with what's going on inside of us. And Joshua in practice is telling the children of Joseph, take what you have and develop it. And the spiritual application for us is, church, take what you have and develop it. Be faithful with it. Number two. First of all, develop what you've been given. Number two, clear out the high places. Joshua tells them to go and clear out the high places. Look at verse 18. But the mountain country shall be yours, although it is wooded, although it is wooded, you shall cut it down to its farthest extent shall be yours. He says, go into the high country and clear it out. The high country is yours. Cut down the wood. Take possession of the area and clean it up. And he specifies a very specific area, the mountaintop, the mountaintop area. You know, biblically, by way of symbolism, those mountaintop times often speak of our intimacy and personal devotion with the Lord. If you've been around the church long enough, you know that when we have a men's retreat or a women's retreat or a marriage retreat or we get away, even if we don't go any higher in elevation, we will often speak of that as going up to the mountains. We're going to go to the mountaintops and pray. We're going to go get away. We're going to have what is called a mountaintop experience where we leave everything, all the day-to-day life, work and job and house and dishes and kids, and we're able to get away for a short amount of time to seek the Lord, have a clarity of mind, open our ears, the mountaintops. We love to get to the mountaintops. Mountaintops often reflect both a devotion and a sacrifice to God. Whereas we'll see in a moment, as opposed to the mountaintops, the valleys, well, those often represent in the Bible difficult times. That's what the psalmist said. The psalmist even used that illustration. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, the valleys often represent the low times in our lives where the mountaintops represent the high times of devotion and sacrifice. It's on the mountaintop in the scriptures that Moses receives the law, that Elijah wins the battle, that Jesus appears and is transfigured, where the disciples draw near in prayer. You know, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed both in Gethsemane and on the mountaintop. But for the disciples, the garden for them was a time of sleeping. But we often find the disciples going up to the mountaintops and praying. So what is God saying to us? As Joshua is telling the, the children of Joseph to go up and clear and cut out the wood, what is, what is God saying to us except to examine where we are in our personal walk with the Lord of intimacy and devotion? So another question needs to be asked. How's your mountaintop lately? How is your time of devotion and sacrifice to the Lord? Let me ask a more probing question. When's the last time you really sacrificed anything for your God? 
Now, I'm not talking about the regular tithes and offerings that we give or the regular times of service, but I mean, when's the last time in your mountaintop time with the Lord that he spoke to you and called for you to sacrifice? Or when's the last time you really had a sweet time of entering in and intimacy and devotion? See, when you're discontented, time with the Lord kind of becomes frustrating. You get a little frustrated with God because his answer, the answers to your heart's desires seem to be a silence from God. He's not opening up avenues. He's not opening up doors. Instead, he's saying, bloom where you're planted. You're like, I don't want to do that. I want more. And, and so when you begin to hear those types of answers from God, you stop going to God. And you just kind of deal with what you've got to deal with. And you start taking in different ways to cope and different coping mechanisms instead of entering in and trusting God with your life and trusting God with where you are. If this is an area in your life that's lacking, that is weaker, then you totally understand now why you're wrestling so much with discontentment. You see, mountaintops aren't about seeking more of something. Mountaintops are about seeking more of someone. And as we grow in our devotional lives, we are yearning for more of him and, long, and, then, and less longing for more of something else. Less devotional time means more longing for the things of this earth and things get back, flipped back upside down. No longer seeking first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God gets set aside and we then seek first for these other things. This always leaves us empty. Now, turn over, would you, to the left to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Going up into the mountain area and cutting down trees is very instructive for us. And in Deuteronomy chapter 20, which is to the left from Joshua, Deuteronomy chapter 20, God previously told the nation of Israel how they were to cut down trees. God is interested even in how they're to cut down trees. And as we turn to Deuteronomy 20, we're going to learn that when the children of Israel were to cut down trees, they were to be discriminating. They were to discriminate between those trees that were bearing fruit and those trees that were not bearing fruit. Notice with me, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 19. God tells the children of Israel, When you besiege a city for a long time, while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You couldn't just clear cut the forest. And, and have that nice, brand new, fresh beginning, which is what happens in, what happens in discontentment. You're just like, man, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. That's when people divorce. I'm out of here. That's when people just pick up and move without being led by the Lord. I'm out of here. I can't tell you. I'm done. It's when people quit the church, quit this church, that church, or quit church altogether. I'm done. It's enough. You can't clear cut the trees. When you go in, you can't just take an ax and just go in and just cut them all down. Instead, notice... If you can eat of them, verse 19, do not cut them down to use in the siege. For the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it's subdued. There were trees that bear fruit and there were trees that didn't. And they couldn't go in and just slice everything down. They were commanded to leave the the fruit-bearing trees Don't cut them down. Why? Because they're your food. They're going to nourish you and feed you. The problem is, is all these other trees in your spiritual life are blinding you from the fruit-bearing trees in the midst of your life. There's a saying in the world that we use. Don't lose the forest for the trees. Where a tree gets right in front of you and you can't see anything around it. 
You lose the eternal perspective. You lose the bigger picture, and you're stuck with that dead tree that's in front of you. Well, this is what God says to us. You go up into the high countries, and you cut those trees down. And just like Paul would write in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28, all things, God's working all things together for the good, for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. So when you cut those trees down, you don't just burn them and you waste them, you use them for war. You can use them in the war as we are in the spiritual battle for contentment and satisfaction for spiritual growth. Use them in the war. Cut the trees down that are not bearing fruit in your life. And I'm sure that the Lord God Almighty will reveal to you all sorts of fruitless trees in your life that need to be cleared out. They're getting in the way. They're obstructing your view. They're obstructing your growth. There are things in your life. I'm confident of this. There are things in your life that are even giving shade to the enemy. Leading you to compromise towards sin in your life. You have to be willing to say. You have to be willing to tell God this. God, whatever gets between me and you has to go. You have to be willing to say that or you'll never get out of this rut that you're in. Laying it all out for God to deal with. Finally, number three, number one, develop what you have. Number two, go up into the high country and clear it out. Cut down the dead trees. And then thirdly, drive out the enemies in the low places. Who was in the low places? Well, we learn in verse 16, the Canaanites who dwell in the land in the valleys have chariots of iron. Remember when the children of Israel came into the promised land, it was filled with the enemies of God. There were the Perizzites. There were the Canaanites. There were the termites. (laughs) Stick with me, guys. We're almost at the end. Stay with me. I know it's a rather heavy message where the Holy Spirit's digging deep into some of your hearts. But the Canaanites, they had taken up residence in the valley. The thing about the book of Joshua that so concerns me in my spiritual life, in how I relate to God, not you. You can concern you if you want to be concerned with me. But for my life, is over and over again, it's repeated in the book of Joshua. They didn't completely drive them out. They didn't completely drive them out. They didn't completely drive them out. It's said as much if you see in verse 12. Look at verse 12 of chapter 17. The children of of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. Listen, the enemy of your soul is determined to dwell in your life and determined to destroy you. He is determined to take you out. He's determined to kill, to steal, and destroy as much. And because of his determination, many of us just walk away and stop fighting. Joshua tells the children of Joseph, get rid of the Canaanites in the valley. Go, to the low, go up to the highlands, cut down the dead trees. Go into the lowlands and get rid of the Canaanites. Canaanites were formidable. No small thing, even as our flesh and the devil can be in this world system. To have iron chariots, the equivalent in our mind today would be to go to battle with a slingshot against a country with a top-notch air force. <laughs> you know, you're going to take them on with a slingshot, and, and it's not going to happen. Or in modern-day warfare, uh, a chariot would be the equivalent of a modern-day tank 
that could shoot armament miles ahead. I mean, they were in the valley. They weren't moving. This is where they were. This, as far as they're concerned, the Canaanites says, this is my land. I don't care what your God says. I don't care how many people have, have you've defeated. We're not going. And Joshua says, you go into the lowland in verse 18. He says at the end, you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots. He's not even a deal. Who cares what they have? You need to go to the lowlands and drive out the Canaanites from the valley. Canaanites representing the world, the flesh, and the devil, our enemy. Listen, while up on the mountaintop in our devotion, we'll find fruit-bearing trees and a few of dead wood in the low areas... The low areas represent things in our life that we know to be sin. The low areas of our lives are things that we know to be sin. We might be seeking more in our lives, but God is waiting for us to deal with what we already have. To deal with something that we know to be sin. Because more comes from faithfulness in our lives than unfaithfulness. And it could be that the confinements and the restrictions that God has allowed in your life are there for the intent purpose to reveal to you the greatest areas of your personal need. You've got to drive out the Canaanites. You need to take what's yours, develop it, clear out the dead wood, and deal with known sin. Joshua says to the discontented developer you have, clear it out. If you're a great people, and he does tell them, you are a great people. And we can say that today in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are a great people by faith in him. So if you're a great people, then clean out the dead wood and clean house and be faithful with what you have because God wants to grow us up into maturity. And he's not so concerned with your current position or your title or your rank or your fame. He's concerned with your heart in his kingdom. And when we feel like we're so limited, remember God is still at work. He's growing us stretching us and preparing us for his perfect will. Don't forget, discontentment is often one of the first steps away from the Lord. Remember what it was with Peter? It was self-confidence. He was overconfident in himself. He was all about himself. And that's where discontentment takes us, all about ourselves. And what do we do? Develop, clear out, cut down, drive out the enemy. In case you missed those three things we're to do when in a confining, constricting place, here they are again. Number one, develop what God has already given you. Two, clear out the high places. And number three, drive out the enemies in low places. Today on Abounding Grace, we listened into a message from Pastor Ed Taylor called Develop What You Have. You can find our studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And they're accessible through our app, too. Pastor Ed, Christmas is just a few weeks away, and many of our listeners will be taking some time off. That's a good time to pull out a book, and we've got a good one to recommend. Tell us about The Case for Christmas. Well, you know, Larry, this is a, an annual Christmas tradition for us that our pick of the month for December is this little book by Lee Strobel, who goes through the practicalities of the Christmas story and compares it with Scripture. And it's a, it's a small book, very inexpensive, and we choose it and buy it by the hundreds. We buy cases of these books because we want you to give them out as opportunities to share the gospel in a time of the year when everybody's talking about Jesus. I mean, there's critics, 
there are skeptics, there are true worshipers, and this is the book that you can use. Very inexpensive. You can buy 10, 20 of them and start giving them out, putting them in your gift boxes, especially to those co-workers, to family that don't know Jesus, maybe are skeptical or just have some issues with Christianity. This is a resource that we always want to remind you exists. We want to make it available to you. You can get it through the ministry here or wherever you get books, but we have them available. We also have an online store, calvaryco.store. And let, let's let's be aggressive in this Christmas season, telling people the truth, putting facts in their hands. And you could tell, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at myself thinking, man, I'm pretty passionate about this. And I am because we are on the earth for the sake of the gospel. And this is a tool that has been produced that will greatly help you, not only you to understand the traditions of Christmas, where it comes from, why we celebrate, what the Bible has to say, but also then to answer those questions and to put good resources in unbelievers' hands, and maybe a believer now and then, but it could be a tradition for you. Every Christmas, they just know they're going to get a copy. They know they're going to get a copy. Why? Because you love them and are communicating the love of Jesus Christ to them. It's a great book. Get a lot and give them away. Ask for a copy of The Case for Christmas when you give $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call us at 877-30-GRACE. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora, 